Hello and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with the indicas.com. My name is Abhishek and this issue's cover is on Tata Steel and its elegant maneuvering of the consequences from the COVID-19 pandemic. On the other line to talk about his cover is Forbes India's Samar Srivastava. Hi Samar, thanks for joining in. Hi Abhishek. If you could give a little bit of a context in respect to the pandemic as well as manufacturing outfits who you know as big as Tata Steel especially they had more to lose. So what was the scale that uh, uh, Mr. Narendran was looking at when he got the first whiff, as you write, from his European counterparts that something big was coming and that they had to, you know, do something about it? Tata Steel, you know, is, is a global steel company with operations in India, Southeast Asia and Europe. You know, it was very important that they have a plan to deal with the pandemic is because they're a very capital intensive business. So let's assume... Even if you don't run the plant, there are certain fixed costs, right? Uh, if you run the plant and there are no sales, he said this, it's 5,000 crores gone. For a month. Yeah. You, eventually you will sell, but that month you need to get those 5,000 crores in working mm-hmm. capital. So there were all these issues. I mean, versus let's say your neighborhood restaurant, which can just shut shop and restart two months later. So there were all these issues, in which is why um, you're dealing, navigating the pandemic and how they navigated the pandemic was important. And how did they go about in the in the early days after realizing that uh, nationwide lockdowns and all kinds of restrictions will be in order? They made a plan on how to deal with the pandemic. And essentially they said that, look, we need to make sure that we don't spend too much. We need to make sure that workers are separated so that if one person gets infected, hmm. we don't have to shut the entire plant down. They had planned for the pandemic before, and this was primarily on account of the fact that they have European operations and the shutdowns in Europe happened before. And so they knew what it could possibly be like if it happens again. And from uh, the standpoint of business, uh, in terms of uh, the working capital itself, did they raise funds? Uh, How did they go about that bit? I mean, it was essentially temporary working capital, which they raised uh, because they wanted to make sure that, you know, they're still still able to produce. They exported a lot in the April, May, June quarter, found new markets, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, they essentially raised working capital in order to make sure that the plant keeps running and their factories keep running. Uh, when you spoke uh, with the brass there, did they just about manage to tide over or were they successful in uh, maneuvering through these times? So in the first quarter, they did make a thousand crores in free cash flow, mm-hmm. which is a significant achievement given that April and May were a complete washout. But the sense I got even, even after that is that now the management is very, very confident because the steel cycle has turned. And since steel is a globally traded commodity, what is happening globally is that you have an infra build out, China's cutting capacity, et cetera, et cetera. And as a result of which the management is very confident because you can kind of project as to how much you're going to make. And what do you attribute this to in that the sense of urgency? Obviously, all companies did, but the company, the size of Tata Steel, how did they move with the agility of a startup or, you know, one of those? You, you don't expect that to happen overnight. You know, they had these various programs. They had one program called Agility, which allowed them to sort of take decisions quickly, to sort of refocus very quickly, etc. And they used to have these morning meetings at the beginning of the pandemic in order to make sure they would refocus very quickly. They kind of acted with the agility of a startup and the results are sort of here to show. In your cover, you also talk about how they were frugal. There was a renewed interest in or rather focus on uh, fiscal discipline. Uh, Has that impacted on the way uh, they do things now in that their older way of working would have 
uh, completely disrupted with the advent of uh, uh, COVID-19. The fact that there is a lot more financial discipline is probably the most important thing because they've always had a lot of debt and a lot of leverage. And the fact that they said that, you know, we will reduce debt by a billion dollars every year was a big deal. They managed to do it in FY18, they could do it in FY19, they managed to do it again in FY20. And so, you know, the fact that they are reducing debt aggressively is is very important. And this this new phase of growth is coming about with a lot more financial discipline. So hopefully there will be a lot more left for them to distribute to shareholders, etc., etc. And another big elephant in the room, so to speak, is China. You also have a section which talks about how China is very important to the industry itself. How is that as an influence uh, to this industry? And how, you know, how did it impact Tata Steel for a while? Very important because steel prices are essentially set in China. It used to be that they were set in the US, but now they're set in China. So you can have the most efficient operations in India, which Tata Steel had. Well, Tata Steel had the lowest cost operations in India. But if steel prices are low, you can't do anything. And that's exactly what happened for much of the last decade. Steel prices were low and the European operations are not doing well. And that sort of really sunk Tata Steel. There's very little value creation uh, over, over the last decade. But now, with steel prices rising, uh, a lot of infrastructure spending in the West uh, and the fact that China is cutting capacity, Tata Steel should do a lot better. This is a price competitive market, all right. But what is the only way for a commoditized uh, industry like this? You know, how can a player differentiate oneself? And uh, how does Tata Steel see that problem? It's it's very difficult. I mean, it used to be, I mean, you, the only way you can differentiate yourself is by having the lowest cost of production, which Tata Steel had. And beyond that, there's not much you can do. Sure, you can get into value-added products, which you're getting into, and you can cut costs in your operations. But these value-added products are also ultimately derivatives of the price of steel. And so there's very little you can do beyond the point, beyond having the lowest cost of production. And expansion is also not that easy, is it, with India's land acquisition laws? I mean, you can't, even if you have the cash, you can't go ahead and buy land and get on with it, can you? Very, very difficult. The POSCO tried it. Uh, Tata Steel took 10 years to start their, their operations in Kalinganagar, which is the second site. JSW found it initially hard to expand. ArcelorMittal tried for over 15 years to get into India. They couldn't till they bought over Isar's operations. So expanding from the ground up is very difficult. Once you already have a site running, then it's easier to expand. But um, it's very tough to also get it. Right. And, and last couple of uh, questions, Samar. How are they doing now in the current fiscal? It's been a little more than a year since everything, uh, uh, since the normal way of doing business changed. Oh, they're doing very well. And, and you know, all of, uh, all of the industry is doing well. And essentially that's because prices have held up. And uh, so Tarasti is doing very well. I think in the first quarter itself, they could reduce debt by a billion dollars. But it remains to be seen how long steel prices stay elevated. But as Mr. Narendra said, and I would tend to agree with that, the average steel price of this decade will be higher than the average steel price of the last decade. It may not be as high as it is today, but it's a fair assumption to say that it'll be higher than what it was in the last decade. Is it to do with the demand and supply or the pent-up demand, which will now need to be you know, met by these players? Well, no, a lot of it is to do with Capacity cuts in China and China is saying that why should we import coal and iron ore, make steel, which is a polluting industry, uh. and then export it. It just makes no sense. It's like, you know, the argument you make, why should India export rice and 
sugar or sugar. Right. So you want to export stuff that's more technologically competitive, uh, takes up less natural resources, etc., and leaves a less of a carbon footprint. And so if those capacity cuts happen, then it's likely that global prices will stay elevated and in, as a result, Indian steelmakers could benefit. Great. Thank you, Summer, for your uh, time on this podcast. Uh, on that note, we can uh, wrap this one up. Thanks so much. Most welcome, Abhishek. Uh, thank you. And uh, all you listeners, you can get this podcast on ForbesIndia.com as well as on Google Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. And to have someone call you for a Forbes India subscription, message Forbes to 51818. And also look for other podcasts from uh, Forbes India. There's one called Teenpreneur, an interview series with young entrepreneurs and We also have from the bookshelf of Forbes India, conversations about business, economics and books.